This is Cruise Radio. I cruise a lot and I always sail with travel insurance. You should too. Get a free quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thanks for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, a review of Azamara Journey this week. Our first time ever doing an Azamara review. So uh, excited to talk about the ship because we got a couple of requests for it and someone actually came through with an interview. Sherry Laskin is here with Cruise News and what else? Cruise line stocks not looking too good. Definitely a buyer's market out there right now. In a couple of hours, I'm jumping on a plane and going skiing for a couple of days in Salt Lake City. So we're going to jump right to Sherry Laskin with Cruise News. Hello, Sherry. Hi, Doug. So Carnival is expanding in one East Coast port. Yeah, Carnival Cruise Line just announced that Carnival Magic will cruise from Norfolk, Virginia, Beginning May of 2021, the cruise line signed a five-year agreement with the city to allow seasonal cruises from this mid-Atlantic cruise port. Carnival Magic will depart from the soon-to-be-improved Half Moon Cruise Center through 2025. So in total, there will be 12 cruise departures for the first season, with close to 50,000 passengers passing through the port that again begins sometime next year. The city will also add a new boarding bridge to speed up um, both embarkation and debarkation, plus other upgrades to the terminal. Carnival Magic Cruises from Norfolk will range from four to eight days, and destinations will include Freeport, Nassau, and Half Moon Key, all in the Bahamas. Longer cruises will visit a variety of ports with four, five, and six-day cruises to Bermuda, and two longer cruises that will visit Grand Turk, San Juan, and St. Thomas. So following a spring 2021 refurbishment in Cadiz, Spain, Carnival Magic will have Carnival's signature features that are found on almost the entire fleet. And we didn't talk about this last week because it happened after the show, but Carnival Fascination is leaving San Juan, Puerto Rico and going to Mobile, Alabama, which begs the question, what is going to happen to Carnival Fantasy? Yeah, I don't know. could be... um... Au revoir, arrivederci. Yeah, so we'll have to stay tuned for that one. And speaking of Carnival, another one of their ships is having technical issues. Yeah, this happens occasionally, right? So passengers aboard Carnival Elation on a cruise from Port Canaveral learned on Sunday afternoon that due to three different issues, their visit to Amber Cove in Belize was canceled. A combination of weather a medical evacuation, and a technical issue made the captain decide to change course. So first there was this bad weather as the ship was heading into Port Canaveral, and that caused the ship's turnaround time to be delayed. After departure, there was an urgent medical evacuation for one of the guests, and the ship returned back to Port Canaveral. And on top of all that, there was an issue that affected Elation's cruising speed. So instead of Amber Cove, a fun day at sea was substituted on Monday and the ship next headed for Grand Turk. Luckily, Elation is scheduled for a two-week dry dock in March. Now, okay, Carnival couldn't help the medical emergency. They can't control the weather. But that uh, technical propulsion issue, that's been haunting Elation for a little while. Thank God she's going into dry dock here in just a couple of weeks. And this next one, uh uh-oh, the first cruise ship of 2020 failed their health inspection. Yeah, this doesn't bode well for Princess Cruises because their Regal Princess failed a recent health inspection with a score of 77 out of a possible 100 points. The surprise inspection took place on February 5th 
and the federal report showed 44 violations, with many of them in the Horizon Court buffet. That, among unpleasant issues, included fruit flies and dirty power cables and other areas around the ship were also marked off as unsanitary. And just really quick, in case someone hasn't heard us talk about this in the past, cruise ships are graded on a scale from 1 to 1 to 100. This is how the inspections go. So if a ship has a score that drops below 86, so 85 and under, it's recorded as a failing inspection. The United States Public Health Department's unannounced inspections take place twice a year. And I have learned that um, sometimes the captain might have an inkling that there's going to be an inspection. And this will usually happen when the ship is returning from a season in Europe. But other than that, everyone on board is usually caught off guard. So if you're curious what uh, just a few items that the inspectors found aboard Regal Princess, they are these fruit flies. There were two of them that were noticed in the Horizon Court buffet. And Doug, we've seen those elsewhere. Yes, we have. pretty gross. The the glass washing machine was out of service at the time of inspection. Over at the International Cafe, uh, the power cables under the espresso machines were dirty. And this is even grosser. And a food employee had his fingernails were deemed to be too long. Um, There's an actual, um, they can actually extend up to 10 millimeters from the ends of your fingers. And they, they were dirty. So they saw a child in a diaper in the swimming pool. That's not supposed to happen. So Regal Princess now is two weeks to correct the violations. Um, And then sometime after two weeks have passed, there will be another impromptu inspection. The cruise apologists who say, oh my gosh, half those violations weren't even a big deal. But yeah, Mm -hmm. they, they kind of were. They wouldn't be violations. That's true. I agree. And when we were on... I won't mention the name of the ship, but it wasn't two fruit flies around the milk spigots. <laughs> it was a swarm. It was well, so disgusting. And that's the thing, Sherry, is fruit flies, they can lay up to 500 eggs at a time and they can reproduce every 10 days. So it doesn't take <laughs> long to have a million of those things. This next story is all about karma. A cruise ship comedian was fired for breaking quarantine in Asia. This is pretty remarkable and pretty, uh, it just got me really angry. So Frank King, a cruise ship comedian aboard Holland America's Westerdam was fired as a result of his reckless and premeditated actions to get out of town, get out of Dodge, basically. Um, all this happened just for him to get to back to the U S in time for a planned speaking engagement. So as, um, we can recall the Westerdam was turned down by several nations over in Europe. Cambodia let the ship dock. Um, And then we also, a lot of us saw the photos of people coming off the ship and receiving flowers. And they were whisked away to a hotel while they were waiting, testing for the coronavirus. Well, this Frank King, the cruise ship comedian, was one of those in the hotel. Um, And then suddenly one woman from the ship um, who flew out with that first wave came back testing positive for coronavirus when she landed in Malaysia. So everyone suddenly was really on lockdown except Frank King because he had to get home for a speaking engagement. So he watched, he took mental notes of where security guards were placed around the hotel. And it didn't take, uh, take very long for him to realize that if you left the hotel, if you try to leave with luggage, forget it. 
But if you walked out of the hotel with just like a day backpack on and said you're going out for a tour, no one stopped you. So he did that, and then um, he grabbed a taxi to the airport. And to avoid suspicion, he purchased, he upgraded his first-class ticket. So in doing that, I mean, think about it. If he should or has tested positive, he put thousands of people at risk just for his own ego and to not lose money by being a no-show at whatever kind of gig he was speaking at. But there is some good news. No one has tested positive in that group. All right, our last talking point here. Virgin Voyages is trying something different when Scarlet Lady docks in New York City next week. Yeah, I have never heard of this happening, but there's a one-time-only offer, of course, because it's Richard Branson, right? So everything's going to be new. So there's this one-time-only offer where a limited number of people will be able to get on board Scarlet Lady when the ship is docked in New York City. So in early March, Virgin Voyages' Scarlet Lady will dock in the Big Apple, And there's a special preview for invited guests only. But prior to the invitation-only event, Virgin is going to host a dinner at Razzle Dazzle on the ship. And this is um, this Scarlet Lady is a self-described signature eatery. And that event takes place on March 7th, and reservations are open to the public. Uh, The dinner is a four-course meal, including some select beverages, and has a price tag of $60 per person. Uh, Razzle Dazzle is described as, in quote, vegetarian forward. And so there will be something for everyone. Reservations are required and available between 5.30 and 8.45 p.m. And if you really want more of Scarlet Lady, the next morning, there's a diva-hosted drag brunch. And that's, again, on March 8th. Reservations are available between 10.45 a.m. and 1.15 p.m., and in this will cost $50 per person. The ship will be docked at the famous Pier 88 in Midtown Manhattan. And then after these preview events and after these two um, park events, Scarlet Lady will head to Port Miami to begin regularly scheduled cruises. The second ship in the fleet will be Valiant Lady. It's under construction and expected to launch in May of 2022. Valiant Lady will be based in Barcelona and sail seven-night Mediterranean cruises. And as we've mentioned before, two more ships are on order for 2023 and 2024. This kind of reminds me of that Bon Voyage experience that Princess offers in like Port Everglades in Los Angeles, where for $39, you can board the ship, you can have a meal on there and hang out with your friends until they sail until about three o'clock or so. So kind of the same, but maybe not really. I don't know. Listener question comes from David in Portland, Maine. What's the best way to get from the Vancouver airport to the cruise terminal? There are four of us heading to Alaska this spring. Well, first of all, it's a lot warmer here in Alaska than it is in Portland, Maine. I can I can guarantee <laughs> that right now. But um, David, you you know you'll the weather should be really nice when you get up here in the spring. But um, just a little backstory. Uh, there's been some talk that Uber doesn't exist in Vancouver, but it just started again, and it actually started in the summer of 2012. But barely six months later, the local transport regulator told Uber it had to follow the same rules as limousine services and charge everyone $75 a trip. So before 2013 even hit, Uber had shut down. But now it's back. So just to sum up, um, in Canadian dollars, which is a little, which is for us in America is, is good, 
an UberX from the airport to the cruise port will run about $28 to $36. If you don't want to call Uber, uh, the cabs in Vancouver charge by zone, and it's about $35 Canadian to get to the airport, $26 U.S., there's also, if you really don't mind hauling your luggage around, you can take the SkyTrain from the airport into the city center in about 30 minutes, and that will only cost about $9 Canadian or 7 US. It's located outside on level three by the parking garage, and of course, the train uh, has room for you to bring your luggage on board. So that's how to get from Vancouver Airport to the cruise port. And if you have extra time, if you or anyone else likes sushi, I'm just going to mentioned the favorite my favorite place whenever I'm in town there is it's right at the port and it's called Miku um, for me it was the best sushi I've ever had and it's just a suggestion it's not a recommendation but if you have the time it, you know I thought it was excellent you've been listening to food talk with <laughs> Sherry Laskin my name is Doug <laughs> Parker and David, if you want the more expensive option, you could always do the cruise line transfer. That'll run you about $30 a person, but it can take a little while because they usually wait until the transfer bus fills up. So it can circle the airport for a bit before it actually goes to the cruise terminal. Really, Sherry? No response? We've been talking with Sherry Laskin from CruiseMaven.com. Thank you, Sherry. Thanks, Doug, and have fun skiing. If you have an Amazon Alexa-enabled device, ask her to enable the Cruise Radio News skill so you can get daily updates anytime. Straight from Cruise Radio. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. When is your next cruise? Where are you going? And what are you going to do once you get there? Market-leading specialist CruisingExcursions.com offers savings up to 60% offshore excursions versus cruise line prices. Whether it's private, shared, scenic, historic, or family tours, CruisingExcursions.com has up to 12,000 excursions in over 700 ports worldwide, like Rome, Vatican City, St. Petersburg, in which we include the visas, Sydney, and Jamaica, just to name a few. You can even bundle your excursions for more savings. Make your next vacation affordable and unforgettable by visiting CruisingExcursions.com. Check out our blog, the video page, and interact at cruiseradio.net. So Adam just returned from a 17-night cruise on Azamara Journey. It was a Panama Canal cruise that left from Port Miami, and he joins us on the line. Hey, Adam. 
Hey, Doug. Thank you for having me on. I'm a longtime listener and a first-time caller, so excited to be here. Yeah, awesome to have you and awesome to hear about Azamara because we, as we were speaking before we started recording, we've been doing this for almost 11 years and have never had an Azamara review. So you, my friend, are the very first one for Cruise Radio. So we'll start with taking a step back. What made you want to take this 17-night cruise on the Panama Canal aboard Azamara Journey? Wow, there are actually several things that really attracted me to it. Um, as we were mentioning before, you know, a lot of people I speak with have never heard of Azamara. And just to give you a little background, they're owned by Royal Caribbean, but it's, it's a very different product than the parent company and other mainstream lines like Carnival Norwegian. The ships are a lot smaller than you'd see on the larger lines. They have uh, three 30,000-ton ships that hold about 700 passengers. And I had previously sailed Azamara. I believe it was 2013, and this was a seven-night cruise um, along the French Riviera. And we were in a different port every day, so didn't never really experience the ship as much. You know, you're just going port to port to port. So I liked the way this one had five ports or so, but it also had the sea days where you could kind of unwind and relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, living in the north, definitely liked the idea of getting some warm weather. Uh, being that it was over the holidays, had some time off, so I was able to take advantage of that as well. I was very excited about the itinerary, uh, as we talked today. It is a bit different than your usual cruise that visits the typical Caribbean ports. And I was really looking forward to going through the Panama Canal. A few months ago, I knew nothing about the Panama Canal. started doing some research about it. I read a 600-plus page book called The Path Between the Seas, and I was really interested in doing that. So it all just kind of fell together, worked out well in my schedule, and um, it was an exciting trip. That's a very good book, too. Great read. That yeah, 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 so good. Um, so you make your way down. You're up in Maryland. You make your way down to Port Miami. Any pre-cruise time down there? I did. I flew down a night early. Um, living in the north, um, it's always advisable to go down a night early, especially during the winter time. You never know what you could um, encounter. And I actually live between Baltimore and Philadelphia, which is great. So you could play one airport against the other. And Southwest is so much out of Baltimore, I ended up flying into Fort Lauderdale and then making the trip to Miami, which is not a long trip. So I went down one night early, stayed at the um, Miami Marriott Biscayne Bay, which is just a couple miles from the cruise port. So I had some time just to acclimate to the warm weather, which didn't take long, and just had a basically the evening I got down there and then the morning before boarding the ship just to walk around a little bit before heading over. So you make your way to Port Miami. How was embarkation? Could not have been smoother. I arrived at the port at 1.31 p.m., and I would say from curb to my stateroom, it took about 10 minutes. Wow. I just literally walked on, uh, walked right up to the counter, and I was in, like I said, I was in my room less than 10 minutes later, so it was a, it was a breeze. What were your impressions of Azamara Journey this go-around? Uh, it's funny, you know, unlike, you know, the mega ships where you might enter through a, an impressive atrium, a ship like this, you know, does not hit you with that wow factor. I walked in, you know, through the gangway on deck five. Someone handed me a glass of champagne. I walked a few feet to the staircase and walked up two decks to my room. So you don't, you definitely don't get that wow factor. I literally walked in and just walked right up to my room. You don't get the wow factor, but you get the not being a lot of people on the ship factor, which is really awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. So what kind of stateroom did you book and what did you think of it? I was in a uh, veranda stateroom. It was a port side aft, probably about three or four rooms all the way from the back. 
And it was nice. Um, you know, I mentioned I was on Azamara the Quest, which is a sister ship of the journey in 2013. And since then, they've received, um, both ships have received significant refurbishments. I don't remember exactly what my room looked like on my previous cruise, but everything, you know, appeared to be modern and good shape. You know, it definitely definitely held, you know, for 17 nights, it was, I was able to fit everything in. I often uh, don't unpack when I travel and just leave my clothing in the packing cubes. But I decided for the length of this cruise, I need to make myself at home. Yeah. So I had no problem fitting everything in my 175 square foot room and closet had a ton of hangers. So I was able to fit it all in. You get creative, you use a desk drawers, you use other places you could find. And, and so it was definitely, it was, it was a very nice room. I'm curious because Azamara is known as a premium cruise line with their bathrooms. Do they have the uh, shower curtain or like the plastic or the glass? Surprisingly, it was a shower curtain and not okay. the glass. And All the right. shower actually was, it was tight. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely didn't, definitely did not feel like a luxury shower. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. So let's talk about the food on this ship. And we'll start in the main dining room. So what time dining did you have and what did you think of it? Dining was all open seating, mm-hmm. I believe, between 6 and about 9.30 or so. They go with a country club casual theme, so there's no dressing up. The only ties I think I ever saw were on the waiters, maybe Mm -hmm. occasional jackets on people. And like I said, you just show up when you want to go. I found the food to be very good, and I I like to speak to other people to hear what they have to say. And everyone I spoke to, for the most part, people seemed to really – seemed to really enjoy the food. So, yeah, I I was very pleased with it. Service was very good in the dining room. I mean, whatever you asked for, they wanted to make you happy. Uh, One night, someone at my table asked if they could have something prepared a certain way, and the waiter said, of course, we could do anything. So it was that kind of attitude, which you like to hear. And the food, and like I said, the service was very good in the dining room, and I thought the food was very good. You mentioned open seating from 6 to 9.30. Is that all they have on the ship? There's no set or traditional type dining times? There are none. No, okay. you just show up, you just show up when you want, and they will they will seat you. All right. And how about the buffet area? How was that? Uh, the buffet was nice. Um, again, unlike the big ships, you're not going to have thousands of items on there. It's it's small, but you know they it was still a good variety. You know you could pretty much eat to your heart's content for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if you choose. Uh, they had you know the hot the basic hot stuff. They had cold items, a little bit of everything. Uh, nice salad bar. There were various specials. Uh, nighttime, if you didn't want to go to the dining room, there was usually a different theme in the buffet, usually like Italian or various uh, cultures at various nationalities. So, you know, it was nice. Like I said, if you're expecting that massive buffet, like on a, like on a Carnival Rail Caribbean ship, you'll be disappointed. But I thought it was good. It was a nice variety. Maybe after 17 days, I kind of had everything memorized, but yeah. I thought it was well done. Did you have um, a chance to dine at either of the specialty restaurants? I did not. They do have two specialty restaurants, Italian and I believe steak, Mm -hmm. and I did not eat at either one. I spoke to people who ate at them, and for the most part, people seemed pretty happy with the meals there. And then they also have, like most ships, the the poolside dining where you could get burgers, dogs, that, you know, more casual type uh, food. How was the entertainment on this 17-night cruise? Well, pretty much every night there was a show, usually... A musical theme, singing and dancing. You know, once again, you're not going to get that elaborate Broadway production, but they were well done. Two of the nights, there were shows by a guy named Mel Millers, a very funny stand-up comedy magician. Uh, this guy is from England, I believe, and he just, in a good-natured, fun way, would knew how to dole out insults to people but still have people laughing. 
So that was a nice break from the, the usual musicals. That, mm-hmm. For me, those, that was probably the highlight shows. And he had everybody laughing. I know the second night he performed, a lot of people had heard about how good he was, and there was a big crowd there for that. Yeah, you got to love those situational comedians who kind of just play off the crowd and kind of, you know, bounce around the atmosphere they're performing in. This guy was so quick. Like, if you told him where you were from or what you mm-hmm. do for work, he, yeah. he had a joke ready to go. And <laughs> I guess it's a real skill to be able to insult people while still have them laughing at the same time. And he was able to do that. Yeah, who did that? That was uh, Don Rickles, right? He was... I was going to say it was almost like a Don Rickles yeah. style that he's insulting you, but you want to be insulted by him. It's, exactly. It's almost, like an, it's almost like an honor, I guess. How was the music around the ship? Uh, music was there a variety by the pool. There was usually live music being played. Uh, there was a pianist who played every night, not too far from the main dining room. There was a lounge area on deck 10, which is just about the highest deck. Deck 11 was just the sun deck. And there would be some live music there, usually kind of subdued. Um, in fact, I thought it was funny. One, night it was, one, day, one day I was walking by the pool, and to me the music didn't seem that loud, and I noticed someone thought it was a little too loud. And uh, the, the nice woman singing asked if the music was too loud. So it was more of subdued. You don't have the... Uh, the rockin' loud music, um, which is in tune with the crowd you have on the ship. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Let's talk about the sea days as far as crowds and congestion. Now, with it being a smaller ship that only holds pretty much a few hundred people, like, what, 700 or so, how were the sea days? Um, It was good. There was a lot of time at sea on this cruise. I mean, there were eight official sea days. Uh, Going through the Panama Canal was basically a sea day because we didn't get off, and there were some days we didn't arrive in port till later, and I would say overall there was a there was a nice laid back vibe, and you really did not notice that uh, difference in the crowd. Well, just like other cruises, the pool area was a popular gathering spot. There was plenty of seating to be had. You know, nobody was draping towels over the loungers at 6 a.m. to stake their claim for the day. <laughs> I mean, occasionally you might notice a little more activity, but I never noticed extra crowds, you know, to get food or to hang out by the pool. So, really, did not feel like that much of a difference when we were at sea. As far as the casino, I know it's a smaller casino on this ship, but uh, with the smoking in and around it, how was that? Well, actually, it's not a problem at all. They have, um, the only casinos they had, as you said, were small. It's just uh, Mm -hmm. the machines, and there's no smoking where the casino is. Okay. And in fact, I believe believe that Azamara is going to be taking casinos out of all their ships, so they won't even be having them anymore. The only place smoking was allowed was um, one corner area of the pool the pool deck and that was it there was not a lot anywhere else and i prefer not to be around smoke and you really didn't notice it unless you walked right by there other Mm -hmm. than that that was the only place it was allowed so but no as far as indoors smoking was not allowed anywhere did you have a chance to hit the gym or go to the spa i walked through it um it was you know not the largest but it seemed pretty Mm -hmm. nice there were a fair amount of people in there so I, i did walk through it a little bit and Nice view of the water, and they seem to have all the standard machines and the classes and whatnot to offer. Yeah, it's it's weird seeing those small casinos, right? Like when I was on Seaborn last year, I walked into the casino, and there was legit like maybe 10 slot machines in one table in a tiny casino cage. I'm like, I've never seen a casino this small in my whole life. This is very weird compared to the big mega ships, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, in fact, I, I enjoy going to casinos, and on the ship, it it doesn't appeal to me on a ship of yeah. this size. I, I've been to Las Vegas many times. I right. grew up not too far from Atlantic City. So, yeah, they, there were people using them. There were people, they had, like I said, it was just the machines, and there were people playing the machines. But, yeah, it was 
kind of tucked into an area of the lounge. So, yeah, definitely not a primary um, draw for them, which probably explains why they're going to be getting rid of the casinos and just turn it into a larger lounge area. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the ports of call on this 17-night Panama Canal cruise. So you mentioned you had eight sea days. So what we'll do here is give us the port of call, then give us the highlight, then move to the next one. Okay. Okay, so after leaving Miami, we had a couple days at sea, and then our first port was uh, Cartagena, Colombia. And that was at that point, I had spent 72 hours on the ship, so I was more than ready to step on land and start checking out the ports. In Cartagena, the big draw is to go to uh, what's known as the Old City, or also called Old Town or the Walled City, because of these walls that were built around it hundreds of years ago to protect it from pirate attacks. So I went on a tour. Uh, it was called the Deluxe Cartagena and Fortress Tour, and we went to a variety of places. Went to a, a, this old fortress, uh, went to this shopping area, and then we walked around the Old City. It was nice. I probably felt myself wanting a little more. You know, it's the good news, bad news with a cruise is you get to see a lot, but you don't always get the full experience. You're kind of doing a city in four hours. So I liked what I saw, but I felt myself wanting to see a little bit more. After that, we went to a, and it wasn't really a port of call, but it was a Panama Canal. We didn't get off the ship, but that we had a whole day of just going through the Panama Canal. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to put in words, but it was just a really cool experience as you're kind of going through this, you know, engineering marvel. I'm definitely not the best person to explain how it works, but it's just very cool having read that large book and done some research on it. And what I did that day, I just kind of, each time we went through a set of locks, I tried to watch in a different place. You mentioned the uh, the fitness center. Mm-hmm. I kind of snuck to an area in the front of it where you're not supposed to be, but I positioned myself right there, got some really good pictures. I sat on my balcony for a part of it, and they had narration of what we were seeing on our TV. There was an anthropologist on board who was, he had been through the Panama Canal, I think about 50 times or something. Wow. So he had it pretty much memorized. And then for the final set of locks, I went up to the um, the top uh, sun deck and looked out from there. So it was just a really cool experience. Like I said, I'm not an engineer, so I can't fully explain how it was, but it was definitely something to see. Um, after that, we went to uh, Costa Rica, and the port is Punta Arenas, and I did an excursion there called A Walk in the Clouds. And what we did for that was it was about a 90-minute ride from the port to a cloud forest, and temperature-wise, it was a big difference. We went from sunny, hot, and humid weather to cooler temperatures, clouds, and a light rain, but actually felt pretty good. And then in this cloud forest, we took a leisurely walk on this path that uh, we went over four suspension bridges. We stopped at a butterfly butterfly farm and a hummingbird garden. And it was a nice nice little break, a little something different to do. At the um, end of the uh, the walk, we had the tour included lunch. So we had a Costa Rican lunch. And then en route back to the ship, we stopped at this huge gift shop that had pretty much anything you're looking for from Costa Rica. They had free samples of coffee and liqueurs that everybody enjoyed. And then made our way back to the ship. And then at the ship, I walked a little bit around the uh, port area. And steps from the uh, ship, there's a pretty nice beach. It's lined with vendors selling local products. So if you are up there and you don't want to go on an excursion, you do have the option of just making it a beach day. It wasn't huge, but it was definitely pleasant to walk around. Mm-hmm. Next stop was uh, Guatemala, and the port is Puerto, I know I'm going to say the name wrong, Quetzal, Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L. And that was definitely my earliest wake-up call. I had a 
tour that I had to be uh, off the ship at 6.30 a.m. for. So several of us were down in the gangway as we arrived around 6.15. And we went on what's called the Highlights of Antigua tour. And this is not the island of Antigua. This is a colonial city about 90 minutes or so from the port. A uh, very nice city to walk around. It's a uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site. has kind of like a European feel with the uh, cobblestone street, streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started off, we went to this uh, the Hotel Casa Santo Domingo, which is a beautiful hotel housed in a former convent. We went to a jade factory, then we walked around uh, Antigua. Uh, we saw some volcanoes from a distance. Our tour guide just thought seeing volcanoes was the coolest thing he had the van stop on the way out there so we could take pictures of the puffing smoke. And then the tour ended with uh, with some lunch uh, right in in Antigua. Went back to the port, and right around the port, there's really not much except there is a fair-sized marketplace there where you could get various handmade items, coffee, jewelry, whatever you're looking for. And this is one of those marketplaces where there are no costs listed on any of the merchandise, and all the vendors, of course, they try to lure you in with a special price just for you, which was kind of funny. So it's good-natured, and you can do a little bargaining with them. They're willing to go back and forth, and you know they'll meet, still meet you part of the way. So I definitely did pick up a few souvenirs there as well. Our next port was uh, Puerto Vallarta in Mexico, and that was actually New Year's Eve day. And though we did dock technically in the city there's really not much to see around the port i mean it was safe it was pleasant to walk around but not much there the primary tourist attraction in uh, puerto vallarta is the malacan which it's a promenade along the pacific ocean and it's just a few miles from the port uh, after listening to uh, several taxi drivers try to outbid each other i ended up paying eight dollars for a ride over there so it was very easy to get over there and it was nice to walk around it's you feel like you're walking on a boardwalk. Uh, much of it is not, much of it, cars are not allowed. And there's shops and restaurants on one side and Pacific Ocean on the other side. So it was a nice place just to go for a walk. Weather was beautiful that day. It was probably about 80 degrees or so. So enjoyable. And then our final port uh, before going back to Los Angeles was uh, Cabo, Cabo San Lucas. And that was our lone tender port of the cruise. And we got there around 6 o'clock on New Year's Day. And so I was able to have the opportunity to see Cabo both at night and day. Went over there that night for a little bit and then went back the following day. And I really enjoyed the feel of the marina area. It was just very nice to walk around. Felt very safe. Enjoyed uh, some $3 Pacificos. Had some fish tacos. So it was good. The beach is right there. I could definitely see myself going back to Cabo one day. Like I said, I really enjoyed walking down there. Beautiful weather definitely helped. It was probably mid to upper 70s there there that day. So living here in the uh, Northeast, it felt plenty warm to me. So it was nice. And so you ended in uh, Los Angeles. A couple of questions back to the cruise. Um, yeah. Did you have the Wi-Fi package at all? I did, and it was <laughs> it was disappointing. Yeah. Uh, Wi-Fi was expensive, and it was slow. <laughs> it was about... 20 bucks a day, and it was really slow. I mean, it was so slow that if you wanted to send someone a picture, it was hard to send. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I guess there are a lot of complaints uh, about it, but, you know, they do what they can. You know, I often don't even get Wi-Fi when I'm on a cruise, but I figured for a trip this long, kind of mm-hmm. had to have it. You know, you can't, it's hard to just disconnect from the world for that long. So yeah. it was functional. Let me tell people, you know, check in with people, let them know I'm doing okay, but it was definitely slow. 
is the beer and wine included on this cruise? Yes, yes. Um, Azamara has what's called semi-inclusive fares, and that includes standard spirits, beers and wines, gratuities, bottled water, soft drinks, specialty coffees and teas, self-service laundry, shuttle service to and from port communities where available, and concierge services for personal guidance and reservations. So the way it works with the beer and wine, there's a list of ones that are included if you want to get a package that costs money to get different choices you could have that or you could pay uh to give you an idea what they mean by select beer the choices were budweiser bud light bex and newcastle okay uh vodka the choices were smirnoff or finlandia so as long as you're not too picky you could definitely could do fine with what's included okay so you make your way back to los angeles do you dock at long beach or san pedro we were at San Pedro. Okay. How was the disembarkation process? Uh, it, was, it was actually very smooth. Uh, we actually ended the cruise on my birthday, which is an interesting way to end it. I would rather have had it during the cruise. Right. But, <laughs> but it was a breeze. Uh, again, from the time I left my stateroom till I boarded, boarded a transfer bus to the airport, 15, 20 minutes, very well organized. There were people stationed at various points and providing directions where to go. They said, walk here, go there. And they just, it was simple. I got off, got my luggage, probably 15, 20 minutes from my room till getting on the bus to the airport. Any first-time tips to offer someone sailing either Azamara or doing a Panama Canal cruise? Um, Actually, I do have for both. I would say, I think part of what I have for Azamara could kind of be for any ship. And like any other cruise ship, you could really be as active or as inactive as you want to be. That, you know, just like the big cruise ships, there are always various activities going on, but you might also just be content sitting by the pool or on your balcony. You could just do whatever you feel like some days, and other days you may want to get more involved. I tell anybody on a cruise to always take the steps. As far as Panama Canal Cruise or any of these destinations, I, I would advise people to research the port cities before you travel. I think because I read about the Panama Canal, I was excited to see it. I was especially interested in that. So I would say... Wherever you're going, try to do some research. You may not have to read a 600-page book, but you know, at least go on the Internet, maybe do see what the attractions are, maybe get an idea what you want to see, maybe learn about some of the history. Because I think it's just going to make it a very, just a very enjoyable experience or a more enjoyable experience. I would say if you're sailing the Panama Canal to definitely read that book. My dad is a retired ship captain, and I was telling him about my Panama Canal cruise. This was a few years ago, and he's like, you need to read The Path Between the Seas by (laughs) David McCullough before you do it to give you an idea of what you're actually sailing through. So I was like, okay, okay, okay. I, I I blew it off, and I finally picked it up and read it, and I'm so glad I did. Oh, yeah. It's just amazing when you see what they went through to build that Mm -hmm. and the fact that it's been there for more than 100 years. And, you know, sadly, as you read, there were deaths and there were much illness. But just the work that went into that Mm -hmm. and just what an engineering marvel it is that, you know, I know know they did an expansion a few years ago, but it's just the fact that this has been there since, I think it's 1914 or something like that. Just just amazing. Yeah. I think it took them like, they started it like in 1870 or something like that. And it's... Yeah, them, like, the French started and yeah. then uh, the Americans took it over. Yeah, so, yeah, so wild. Um, looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise? I'd say there were several. Uh, for me, we didn't really talk about this too much, but Azamara, one of the things they're known for, they have longer stays and they have overnights in ports. And that's nice when you don't have to rush back to the ship in the late afternoon. 
Uh, we had overnights in Cartagena and Cabo, as I actually I did say that. And even Puerto Vallarta, we had a later departure. It's just nice that you don't have to run back to the ship and you get to maybe see a city at night where it takes on a little different personality. Uh, Panama Canal, as we discussed, that was definitely a highlight. Like I said, I wish I could do a better job of putting in words how it works and how cool it was, but it was definitely very cool to see. And Cabo, I really enjoyed. I just, I enjoyed walking around there. It just had a really, really nice vibe, very safe, fun, just really good vibe, good place to be for me. Azamara does these as amazing evenings. Are those included in the price of your cruise or is that extra? Those are included. Um, it's basically a free excursion. And they call it a destination immersion excursion. So the, they want you to experience where you're going. Uh, I think I mentioned I previously went on an Azamara cruise along the French Riviera. Mm-hmm. And on that one, we were in Set France, and we saw water jousting, which <laughs> was basically guys poking each other into the water. But on this one, our Azamazing evening was in Cabo, and we went to what was called the Wild Canyon Nature Park, for Dia de los Muertos, which translates to Day of the Dead. And it was a performance of dances, fire twirling, acrobatics, and circus arts. And if you've ever seen a Cirque du Soleil show, it was kind of like a poor man's Cirque du Soleil. But it was a nice setting. We were in this canyon, so you had this nice backdrop of the canyon walls. It's a little chilly out there, but that was our chance to get a little feel of the, uh, the Mexican culture. Very good. Well, what are your final thoughts of Azamara Journey? Uh, I definitely have several. Uh, overall, I would say it's a very well-run ship with a dedicated crew. I was really impressed by how often I would see the captain and the other high-ranking officers around. They were everywhere. They were engaging people, and that's nice. You know, they just That's something you get on a small ship. Uh, it's definitely never a long walk to get anywhere on the ship, which is a plus. Uh, if you're meeting people for dinner at 7 p.m., you could probably leave your room at 6.57 and get there on time. So it's definitely a smaller, it's a very different type of experience. Uh, it's just really important, I think, when you choose a cruise ship or any type of travel, it's really getting what's right for you. I don't think I mentioned this, but I am a travel agent, so I probably should disclose that I did receive a discounted rate for this, which mm-hmm. was greatly appreciated. And there's, as you know, there's so many different types of cruise ships, so many different types of travel. And while the price is definitely important, if it's not the right product for you, it doesn't matter how much you paid. So, you know, if you're going on a ship like Azamara, you're not going to have the buffet with thousands of items. You're not going to have the Broadway-caliber shows, the skating rink, the water slide, the around-the-clock party. But there's still plenty to do. You're still going to find everything you find on a cruise ship. You know, you're going to have the food, the entertainment, the activities. It's just a smaller tone down more compact package, which that's something many people are looking for. So I would say do your homework in just any type of cruise. Make sure it's right for you. But, you know, I make a point to talk to a lot of people when I travel, and people on the ship seem to be enjoying themselves. So I think many of them made the right choice. Good to hear. We've been talking with Adam about his 17-night cruise from Miami to Los Angeles, going through the Panama Canal aboard Azamara Journey. Adam, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. Oh, thank you. I appreciate being on, and thank you for for your show. I know I've learned a lot as both a traveler and a travel agent. I've learned a lot from your podcast, so I thank you for all the time you put into it. It's definitely evident. We always like getting your shore excursion questions here on the show. If you have one, drop me an email, Doug, at cruiseradio.net. Rob from cruisingexcursions.com is fielding today's questions. Hello, Rob. Good morning, Doug. Pleasure to be here. 
Likewise, in the first question, we are porting in Naples for 10 hours. Is it possible to see the Amalfi Coast and make it back to the ship in time? So yeah, 10 hours, it's, um, it's long enough porting time there. So um, we certainly have a tour that's going to take in a boat ride along the Amalfi Coast um, to Salerno. And it also includes Ravello Town and Amalfi Town itself. So the tour in question is our relaxing Ravello, Amalfi and Coastal Boat Tour, as it says on the name. And it's seven and a half hours in duration, so that's going to fit in perfectly with that porting time of 10 hours there, no problem whatsoever. And this tour operates with a maximum of 18 passengers. So straight away, as you can imagine, it's a much more personal tour, very relaxed pace throughout the day. Um, you're not kind of being hushed around and herded in a large group. So you can really take your time and enjoy the day. So the tour would begin, as with all of our tours, with a pickup from the port. You would then take a scenic drive to Ravello. Once you arrive into Ravello, you guys are going to give you a little walking tour of the town, giving you all the history, um, past events of Ravello and what it's famous for. And then from there, you're going to move along to Amalfi, just further down the coast. And again, rather than the guy just kind of letting you off and wander around, he's going to give you a little walking tour. Um, give, again, giving you the history, all that in-depth knowledge that he has of the town. And then from there... You're going to board a little boat from Amalfi that's going to take you along the Amalfi coast, across the uh, Mediterranean Gulf, along to Salerno there. With it being seven and a half hours in duration, it's going to suit those porting times. And it's going to really give something, something completely different. If you've been to Naples before and you've been to Pompeii, maybe you've been to Sorrento, you're looking for something a little bit different and you want to see you know, the splendor of the Amalfi coast, I would definitely recommend this tour. Um, it's just something that's going to really create some memories for you on your holiday. Yeah, beautiful views over there, too. Our next question, we are cruising from Venice in September and are doing a pre-cruise night. Any tours that include the surrounding islands around Venice? And the tour I would always recommend is our three-island excursion. And that takes in the Lagoon Islands situated around Venice. That includes Murano, Verano, and Torcello. It's a four and a half hour excursion, so again, nothing too strenuous, not a, a full day tour or anything like that. And it really gives you an authentic taste of Venice. It allows you a chance to take in some traditional, um, some traditional workshops on those islands. So once you arrive in Murano, there's an option there if you want to see a traditional glass making show. In Murano, that's famous for lace and textiles, so you can see a lace making workshop there. See how um, see how that craft is is worked in Verano. And then the final stop will be at Torcello Island. Now Torcello is famous for kind of ceramics and mosaics and the cathedral there is absolutely stunning. So it's a, a, you know, a must-see attraction for a lot of people that want to go out to these islands and, and take that in. And when, you, when you're on this tour, you're going to have approximately 40 minutes on each of these small islands. That's plenty of time for you to kind of take a walk around. Maybe grab yourself a little souvenir from each island to take back. They get plenty of photo opportunities you know, and taking all the sights and drinking the atmosphere that these islands have to offer. Now, the perfect thing about this tour is it starts from St. Mark's Square, which is obviously a very central point in Venice. And it has several different start times throughout the day. So it makes it perfect if you're in Venice before your cruise or after cruise. You know, we can always find a start time to suit you best. And even if you're in Venice during your cruise, this tour is always a popular choice amongst our customers. Michelle has a next question. This is my husband and my third time to Dubrovnik. 
So far, we have walked the wall and did a sea kayak tour. Any suggestions for something a little bit different or maybe outside of the city center? Okay. So obviously, they've ticked all the main ones there, the kayaking and obviously climbing the wall. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for something a little bit different, we have a tour, a half-day tour to Kavtat. Now it's a four-hour excursion. It's going to meet you at the port of Dubrovnik. You're then going to take a lovely scenic drive through the countryside. And you're going to see some absolutely amazing views looking down on the old town of Dubrovnik itself. And, of course, some of the islands that run along the coast and the Riviera um, along that port as well. So the drive will give you some lovely views. And you'll drive through the Carnarvon Valley. And once you drive through there, that's going to bring you through to Kavtat. And this is the southernmost town in Croatia. And once you arrive, your guide's going to give you a wonderful walking tour of this lovely harbour town. And it's absolutely steeped in history, steeped in culture. Um, it has a very luxurious feel to it. So um, it is a wonderful place. I'm sure you'll agree, Doug. Um, and there's plenty of opportunity there if you want to maybe do some souvenir shopping after you've had your tour. And maybe take a little bite to eat. Or even if you just want to get a coffee or an ice cream and stroll along that promenade. You, know, you have that option to do so as well. You, know, you can also do some maybe celebrity spotting. That some of the uh, luxurious uh, yachts that are docked in the marina. I know when I was there, there were some absolutely amazing um, boats in ports. Some that you just couldn't, couldn't believe, really. Um, so it is a very luxurious place. and something very different to the old town of Dubrovnik. So if that's something um, you're looking at, you want to make the most of your time in Dubrovnik, whilst not repeating anything, I would take a look at our half-day tour to Kavtat. Derek has the next question. We're heading to Couture this summer and looking for something active. We're in our early 30s and love adventure. Couture itself, it's quite you know, very beautiful, very scenic. And the tours that we offer, you know, they're not extremely active due to the nature of the destination. But a tour I can recommend is our small group tour, Charming Montenegro. Now, this tour does start off quite relaxed. And it's going to take you to um, a town further along down the coast from Couture to Parast. Well, there you have quite a relaxed itinerary. You, know, you just allow some free time, stroll on the cafes and the bars. There is the option there if you want to take a boat tour out to the church that's situated in the middle of the bay. It's called the Lady of the Rock. So that's also an option for you in Parast. You'll also then move along to Risan, which is the site of an excavated Roman villa just down from Couture as well. Now, the tour itself up to this part is very gentle, very relaxed paced due to the nature of Couture itself. But then once you arrive back at KOTOR, the guide's going to give you a little bit of information about the, you know, this medieval city, its high walls, its small cobbled streets. And then they're going to let you off to explore KOTOR. Now, if the ship is in port long enough, one thing you do have the option to do is take a hike up those mountains that, that actually flank around KOTOR. You could take a hike up to the fortress that sits atop the Black Mountains. And of course, you can imagine when you're up there, now, the views across the bay and the mountain ranges are absolutely stunning. But it is quite um, an active hike, I would say. So um, that is something that maybe would be of interest to you whilst in KOTOR. And we do also offer this on a private basis. So we offer a private hiking tour of KOTOR. Now, with this being private, it's just going to be for you and your party. And that may be more suitable for you if you don't want to spend... Um, the day having the relaxed part of the tour on the shed, 
variant and just want to take in the hike to the fortress, that's something we could arrange as well. So there are several options whilst in KOTOR. All right. And our last question, our ship ports in Messina, and we are torn between visiting Terramina and visiting Mount Etna. Does one have an advantage over the other? So there's a couple of tours that we could offer from the port of Messina. Now, the first tour we have is a half-day tour, so four hours in duration, and that's our Tawamina highlights. Now, this tour is going to commence from the port of Messina on a drive to Tawamina itself. Now, once you arrive there, you're going to get a walking tour with your guide, you know, taking all the old, um, the old cobble streets and, and, and narrow alleyways of Tawamina. You're going to see the cathedral, the Roman theatre, you know, plenty of hidden gems and a new unique architecture that's steeped in the town as well. So Tamina itself is a very gorgeous place. But I do know, obviously, when porting to Messina, a lot of people want to take in Mount Etna as well. Now, if your ship's porting times do allow, then, of course, that's something we can offer. We have our Etna Slopes and Tawamina tour. Now, this is a seven-hour excursion, so it's going to meet you again at the port of Messina, where you'll have a scenic drive to the Mount Etna National Park. Now, that itself is approximately two hours in duration. But, of course, on your drive there, the guides will be giving you plenty of information about the surrounding areas that you're passing, you know, information, about, information about Etna itself. And then once you arrive at the National Park, you're then going to take a drive up the actual slopes of the volcano. Obviously, you can see the views of the lava formations that have been you know, created over thousands of years. And then when, when you reach the main coach park, that's when you'll disembark. And you're actually at 3,000 feet above sea level there. So, um, obviously, very high up. And from here, the guide's going to take you on a tour you know, of one of the many craters that are very accessible from that main coach park. Unfortunately, this tour doesn't allow enough time to take the cable car to uh, the main crater, but that is something we could arrange on a private basis if that was of interest to you. But unfortunately, within the shared tour, that wouldn't be included. Now, for those who feel it might be a little active for them, um, and they don't want to do the walking around the craters, but they want to go up the slopes of Etna and see those sites, then that's something that they can do as well. So when you get to the coach park, it's actually um, situated between... You know, quite a few cafes, restaurants and bars and that sort of thing that, as you can imagine, have the best views from Etna. You know, and they have the option there to want just to relax, maybe get a drink, a bite to eat, and not take in that walking part of the tour on the slopes. Then they can certainly do that. It's just a case of having that conversation with the guide on the day. And once they've taken the tour of um, the craters there at the National Park, you're going to forward back onto the vehicle, and you're then going to take the drive back to Tawamina itself. Now, once you arrive into Tawamina, it's very similar to the highlights tour that we have. Again, you're going to get that walking tour with your guides and also your free time given as well. So I think you know, if you do have that time in port long enough when you're in Messina, I would definitely recommend the Etna Slopes and Tawamina tour to kind of get the best of both worlds. Um, but as I say, if, um, if someone was looking to go to the crater itself, that's something we could arrange on a private basis for you and your party. But with these two shared tours, I think it would cover uh, a lot of people's requests and requirements for this port. 
All right. You can find all of these tours we talked about today in the show notes at cruiseradio.net. We've been talking with Rob from cruisingexcursions.com. Thank you, Rob. You're very welcome, Doug. All right, Dougie. Let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.